to the Thinking Pilates podcast, where show after show, we bring you a different way to think about teaching Pilates. We make you dig deep, ask the tough questions, and keep unraveling the rich layers of teaching movement. I'm Chantel Lopez, founder of Skillful Teaching, an international education company just for Pilates and movement teachers, and author of Moving Beyond Technique. I am so gratefully joined in this delightful and crazy endeavor by my sometimes co-host and podcast co-founder, master teacher and mentor, Deborah Colway, as well as the brilliant and funny consummate explorer of movement and people, James Crater. What an absolute thrill it was to make this podcast. In episode 41, we're talking to Wendy LeBlanc Arbuckle a dear and wonderful human being and a consummate contributor to the Pilates yoga and movement industries over the last 30 plus years. If I were going to choose one way to describe Wendy, it would be a movement astronaut. She's not only always curious, she's always exploring, pushing the edges, going to the far reaches of understanding the body, the mind, and the beautiful configuration of all of it as it manifests in our lives. Wendy is a true pioneer in our industry, and if you're not already a fan, you're very likely to be after this. Now, for those of you who don't know Wendy, she has been in the holistic health industry for 40 years. She came to Pilates uh, as a yoga teacher and has had the opportunity to study with many of the Pilates elders, Romana, Kathy Grant, Ron Fletcher, Mary Bowen, and Lolita San Miguel. She's also studied with people such as Bonnie Bainbridge-Cohen, Emily Conrad, Susan Harper, Judith Aston, Tom Myers, and been a part of founding the Pilates Method Alliance, as well as the Fascia Research Society and the International Association of Structural Integrators. Wendy has also been the director of the Pilates Center of Austin for the past 25 years, although she currently lives in Asheville, North Carolina, where she has participated in the workshop creation for Fusion Pilates, EDU. You can also find Wendy teaching internationally um, on Pilates Anytime and as a part of the Balanced Body Passing the Torch program. What's also really rather magical about this podcast is that it's our first trifecta co-hosting with Deborah James and myself along with a guest. Although James and I wanted to jump in it and interrupt with questions and ideas at every turn, we managed to maintain a level of considerate decorum and uphold the listenability of the show. So let's get to it, shall we? Well, welcome everybody to another episode of the Thinking Pilates podcast. This is episode 41, and James and Deborah and I are all incredibly honored and pleased to have Wendy LeBlanc Arbuckle with us this morning. Good morning, Wendy. Good morning. Mm-hmm. I'm incredibly honored, uh, honored to be with y'all. Oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, this is really, really a, an exciting moment um, for a, a lot of reasons. I mean, one, just because of, of who we have, you know, all of us here together. And, and also because James and Deborah and I have been really percolating on some ideas, some that we've been fostering in the podcast and some outside of the podcast individually in our own work. And the topic today that we're really bringing to the table, I think, dovetails and expands on an idea that Deborah and I have talked quite a bit about um, practice and what practice means for us and why do we use practice and how does our own personal practice feed and inform our choices 
um, in life, in our work, and our perceptions. So I think it's going to be a great uh, exploration, and I'm looking forward to that. I wanted to um, pull out, Wendy, I was looking at your bio, and there was one line that struck me, uh, just really struck me. I wanted to read that, and then I'm going to hand it over to, to Deborah. Um, and in your bio, it says, her vision has been to illuminate the universal core principles that underlie all great body-mind practices, enabling students and practitioners of any discipline to discover their wholeness by cultivating their own voice through the portal and brilliant guidance of their bio-intelligent wisdom. And I just thought, wow, that pretty much says it all. And it's so beautiful and it resonates really deeply with this topic, um, that we are, we're, we're about to dive into with honoring yourself and looking within and exploring on all of these different levels. So just welcome again. And Deborah, I'm going to, I'm going to hand it over to you because you have kind of the largest kind of context with Wendy and, um, you know, just start us off, uh, with getting a sense of, of where you are, Wendy, in your work and, and kind of where you've come from and where you're on your way to. So, Deborah, when you're ready. Okay. Hi there. I, well, I've been thinking about Wendy a lot. Wendy's been thinking about <laughs> you for the last several days. Um, ironically, of course, you and I had been trying to just reconnect by phone for a while, and we have a date for tomorrow, and now we're having this opportunity this morning. Um, I I just want to say that I've I met Wendy, I think 1991. Yep. Um, yeah, and what I, of course, we met through the Pilates community primarily, but um, we we already shared a strong background in. Um, we were both involved in the the natural foods industry or the whole foods industry in different ways. And um, kind of thinking about that and our connection to yoga, strong background with yoga, meditation, in those days what we might have called some of the more alternative aspects um, and alternative lifestyles uh, with regard to health and healing. And I thought about where we've come in the past 30-ish years, and uh, it's not so alternative. A lot of the things that we are talking about now, although I suppose not everyone, but um, looking out the window, I'm on Cape Cod, and I'm just looking out over the marsh and over the bay, and I can see forever, and I'm Mm -hmm. just really struck by the vastness of everything, (laughs) the vastness of Wendy's... um, statement that you make in your bio, the topic that we're always trying to to, to um, uh, discuss and contemplate. And I just feel like what I, if I was going to sum it up, what I love, respect, always have and appreciate about you, Wendy, um, is the, you're the explorer and you also have, in my opinion, an incredible strength of personal discipline around your own practice and study. I remember coming to visit you when you had first moved to Austin and um, just being amazed at 
the depth of study that you always are involved with and just never stopping, never stopping learning, never stopping exploring. Um, I don't know, you know, you, you have a big, rich uh, meaning to me personally as a person. And uh, so this topic of personal practice and its application to ourselves and our teaching, our work, you know, on and on, um, I think you, you really exemplify that in a lot of ways. And so when I thought about trying to get the conversation going, um, I just thought at this point for you, uh, what, what's the main peaking of your curiosity? You know, what's, you've had a light, your life so full of, you know, exploring how we do what we do and how we, who, who we are, how we know who we are and how we are with one another. Um, so if you were going to dive in and just say right now, what's up? Mm. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I, you know, this is just so special for me too, because I just have so much love and respect for you too, Deborah, uh, of what we've experienced over the years and how much we know one another on such a deep level on so many levels, you know? So it's really precious. And, um, and you know, it's a huge question. <laughs> <laughs> it's a huge question. And, and but, but to really kind of bring it into, um, what is it, like what Deborah just said, what is it that is, has become so real and it's not like it's suddenly become, but it is a becoming mm. that is constantly, uh, there's an emerging that I see is really how we are formed as human beings. So this is, as Deborah says, um, there's a way that I came into Pilates that, uh, as a, as a long-time yoga teacher and decided, okay, I want to really understand Pilates. And so I stopped doing yoga for a period of time because I really wanted to understand it. And within that time, I began to feel sort of held in a different way. And I didn't know what that was. What I had no words for it. But over time, what I realized is I was overstabilizing. Hmm. And I, I wasn't interested in making it wrong. What I wanted to know is, what's that about? What am I doing that I wasn't doing before? And so when I began to inquire, like Deborah said, the, I, the value of asking a question mm -hmm. rather than making something right or wrong, mm -hmm. that's what's really firing for me in practice. And what is it's the difference between, as I see it, the difference between static, what I consider biomechanical, ways of thinking, which is really a right-wrong perspective and takes us into cadaver-based ways of thinking, very separate. But what is biointelligence? And I'm not making biomechanics wrong because mm. it was great for surgeons. But what we've done is we've taken it into movement education. And now we're studying pieces and parts and wondering why we're constantly trying to pull the, put the pieces and parts together. Mm find the problem. So when we go into biointelligence, we go back to where I started, which is that question that I asked at that moment when I'm over overstabilizing. I thought, what is core? Rather than, okay, let me find another another belief system around core. 
<laughs> what is core from the body's perspective? Wow, that opened Pandora's box of really, what is deep intelligence? What is my relationship to gravity? As soon as I started to study gravity, so here's telling something on myself. I'm studying gravity with different somatic teachers, Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, Judith Aston, Emily Conrad, and I'm thinking, what have I been doing for 20 years in my yoga practice? <laughs> I had no idea of gravity. I mean, I knew it existed, but I had no relationship to gravity. It was sort of something there that I interacted with, and however I did, but I was so flexible that I could stay, I could twist myself into knots, and I basically was hurting myself most of the time. I was, you know, damaging my joints and getting a lot of accolades for looking good. <laughs> yeah, so it was so interesting. But then from that place of, of, of what is core, my practice began to shift. It shifted from doing something to myself from a, even though I hadn't studied a lot of anatomy back in yoga when I was studying there were no certification programs it was just you I started with Swami Rama and I began studying different legacies um, but um, but what is what is core became obvious to me that core is about relationships and relationship to gravity is our first sense that wakens in the womb the inner ear nerves that was really interesting in studying embryology. So I really got a sense of, wow, that is powerful. And that took me into a deeper study of relationship to Cora's relationship to gravity. Well, gosh, that brings me back into Cora, into relationship with myself on a deeper level. That takes me into relationship with other people. Mm. That takes me into a relationship with my environment. And as I studied with different, different embryologists, uh, Jacques Underwall is just a phenomenon. He's, he's so incredible. And, and even, you know, see Tom Myers will start talking a lot more about embryology because it's just become so obvious that that is what's real for us. I mean, Jacques and also Emily Conrad, one of my mentors says, we never lose the embryo. We think once we're born that that was the past. But that's how we form. That's how we self-heal. That's how we organize, our, how our bodies are organized. That's how we shape ourselves, is that ability to, to self-organize and, self, and, 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 and modulate. So it's really phenomenal what's going on. So that brought me into a deeper understanding of my own practice, but it also gave, began to give me a way of looking, like a lens, a portal to look through, which was very different. The biomechanical, once again, when we look at we look at that perspective, it's usually right, wrong. Mm -hmm. That was right, mm -hmm. it was wrong, don't do that, do that. But biointelligence is all about what's missing. It's about revealing what gets revealed. You know, we don't tell a baby, no, that wasn't quite the right way to crawl right there. Or a baby doesn't say, oh, inner thigh belly to stand up. <laughs> <laughs> but we do. <laughs> so it's funny when you think about it, you know, what are we practicing? Mm. 
And when we really, really get into a more holistic way of our body as a living process, a way of being, of being uh, and letting go of the teacher as expert mm-hmm. and allowing that I am the expert in my own body, wow, how empowering for clients to actually come from the difference between downloaded information, this is what you must believe, into collaborative cooperation. Mm. And it takes me more into inquiry. So there are a couple things, there, there are a couple of things that, you know, when, when we, I thought about this conversation, I thought there'd be really four very short stories that I just wanted to mention that are part of practice and that Deborah will appreciate this too. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'd love a little bit of, um, of, of, kind of feedback on that. But one was my, my own uh, kind of uh, revelation as a yoga teacher and, and getting into a newer relationship with gravity that had really been missing, had been missing for me. But that changed, that shifted um, my practice. Well, when I was studying with Ramana, uh, I, I did additional studies with her um, after we, we studied, after we did uh, in Boulder up in, um, in New York. I'd go to Drago's and do additional studies. And once I was uh, working with her and then uh, we had dinner together one evening. And at dinner I said, what's your daily practice? And she looked at me and she said, oh, I do the stomach series every day. And my first thought was, oh, not so good. I just thought about that because I'm watching her sitting and she was already in that posture of, of getting a little kyphotic, you know, as an older person. And she was losing that sense of up, up, uplift that had been so there for her in her practice when she was doing her whole practice. So it brought you guys all just sit up straighter just now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what was interesting about it was not, oh, isn't that bad? But what was interesting for me is, isn't that interesting? That her practice is not shifting with her aging. Yeah. So that she knows how to help herself. Mm. And actually, as we know, you know, there were so many things that happened around her becoming more and more bitter and upset and all this. I'm thinking, what is practice? You see, because I really mm-hmm. I consider that practice is we become more and more loving and respectful for ourselves and others. Mm-hmm. And it also brings us into a way of navigating life's challenges and, you know, being aware of our own actions with other people and with ourselves. So now here's, well, here's another Another short, another short story, and this is—I was really kind of interested in this, Deborah, when you wrote. Uh, we did the the uh, interview for uh, the Powerhouse article in in Pilates Style, and that you mentioned because you worked with Eve at the, toward the end of her life, and you mentioned in the article that she was you were working with her, mm-hmm. and that she was upset when she couldn't do movements the way she used to. And rather than a wrong, once again, what came up for me is, is that interesting? It's interesting. What happened to her inquiry around around pre-Pilates? And what was maybe missing that maybe didn't allow her to teach, to take that into her changing body? 
question. You want me to comment? I can comment on that right this very second before we lose the thread if it's appropriate. Sure. Okay. Great. Yeah. Well, I'm very clear. You know, the other thing that I said in that article was that it was a, I was a young woman back then, and it was a wake-up call to me um, to notice that, and it made me sad. It made me very sad in that moment that she was um, struggling with herself in that way, and I did make a comment in the article about being able to shift as we age, but the thing that I think was happening in that moment, can't be sure, was less that there was something missing in her exploration of pre-Pilates, which, of course, she never called it that, um, was that she had a huge, um, she was being incredibly conscientious and had a huge sense of responsibility to me as the young person coming to her to make sure that she was teaching me, the, the, the time that she did spend teaching me Pilates Pilates, I think she felt, um, you know, this just strong sense of, of responsibility toward me to make sure she was showing it to me correctly, you know, Absolutely. so that I would get it correctly. And so it wasn't that she was preferring that or something like that. I mean, it was just a moment in time. And I was a kid, you know, and I was interpreting the experience, but it stuck with me. And of course, now as we're talking about getting older too, it's, you know, it's really relevant, but I just wanted to throw a little bit more, uh, light on that. Sure. And, and, um, yeah, who cares whether we call it pre-Pilates? My <laughs> purpose in really saying it is, is not to say anything bad about Eve, but rather that even if she's showing you different exercises, what would be valuable for you as a, as a young person would be also to learn something about how Pilates can address older bodies. Absolutely. And, so and my purpose. Yeah, and the message that I got was, you know, how much more kindness and gentleness we could begin to afford ourselves as we get older and allow ourselves to do whatever you want to call it <laughs> at a point in our lives that's appropriate, like you say, to our aging body or our whatever needs at different points in our life. And absolutely, I think that's what the message was for me in that moment, to pay attention yeah. to that potential to stay rigid, like you say, overstabilize, the potential that we have to learn a form and to label its value somehow or to interpret its value and then rigidify it and not allow the thing to, to just evolve. Exactly. Beautiful, beautiful, and I, you know, this whole purpose, whole conversation is one that we get to, we get to keep mining, you mm -hmm. know, how are yeah. we looking at patterns and habits rather than right yeah. wrong, you know, and yeah. really the last one is an experience you and I had, Deborah, which was um, a couple of years ago when you were having hip pain at the PMA conference. Oh God, and yeah. And you asked me to just assist you with some gentle movement, and so we went up to your room, and we did some things, and you said you felt better, and then when we were finished, you were going to put your clogs back on. <laughs> <laughs> Remember how funny that was? So funny and I yes. Oh, my God. We were in Las Vegas, and I was so determined to go to all those cool hotels, and I was in such agony. Yeah. <laughs> I said, 
please don't put those yeah. shoes back on. They're going to make your hip hurt again because mm-hmm. yeah. it's a rigid shoe, yeah. you know? So my purpose in mentioning that is once again to keep mining because believe me, mm-hmm. look, when I first came from Boulder, the first shoe that I got was a, a clog because everybody was wearing clogs. And I mm-hmm. thought, oh, wow, just, yeah, I want to wear clogs too. And I just began to notice how it was locking out my hips. Mm. But it was interesting that in Pilates, we talk a lot about how we need to understand the feet. And yet many times, you know, it's interesting. You see people wearing flip-flops and you see them wearing clogs and you see them wearing on. And so how do we, once again, how do we begin to really kind of deepen our awareness of movement of the foot in relationship to the shoes we're wearing? And so it's all practice. Mm-hmm. Right, and you know, but it's so it, there's so multi layered because as I'm listening to you, it's like, yeah, but I'm not even five two, and I always wanted to be taller, and then there's all this <laughs> stuff about, you know, I mean, it's everything. What does it all boil down to? Is our sense of ourselves, our like yes. identity, totally, how we want people to look at us. I mean, all of it. It's like, you want me to wear those ugly old lady shoes? No way, you know, or whatever it is. <laughs> it's like I know why I used to wear clogs. They give me height. Yeah. I want to just say something really quick, ladies and gent. And then I actually am curious to, to hear something from James, uh, reflecting back on this, but, uh, these stories, Wendy are, are a really lovely way of kind of placing this idea, right. And letting us kind of experience it from these different perspectives or these different moments in time where we become aware, um, of practice and how it, how it potentially can influence us. And I just am having this kind of interesting thing because the moment of realization or opinion, I suppose, in my head (laughs) regarding the clogs. And it's not, it's like, I think it's so fascinating that, uh, okay, this goes back to the conversation that Deborah and I had about, um, uh, like the, the mind, that fixed mind state of needing something to be right or wrong, which you mentioned, Wendy, and I know you listened to that podcast. It's like, what's so, I guess, liberating to me or feels like it gives me the freedom to keep going and keep exploring is that any choice that I make at any given moment doesn't have to be right or wrong. It, it only, I only have to give myself permission to, to choose. And if I can choose wisely, that's great. And that's my hope. But, you know, it's like, I like choosing the clogs or I was just thinking about these really cute strappy sandals I just bought that are totally flat and really probably terrible for my feet. But I, but I bought them because they're tiny and I need to pack them on a motorcycle and they're cute. So it's like, that. it's like, Oh, that's Oh, interesting. Like, Oh, that's not going to be great for my foot. But that's okay because in the moment I'm willing to make that choice and I'm going to bring my foot rolling ball and my, you know, I'm, you know, it's like, I'm just, I'm aware of, I'm aware of the choice I think is the thing. Um, and I'm also aware of that, that choosing can be like, I could get stuck and have, and I think we all have personally and professionally, you know, stuck in like berating ourselves about the choices, um, but that in itself, I think creates, you know, an over, an overstabilization and a rigidity. But if I can say, oh, I'm just aware that I'm making this choice in the moment 
and, and that's okay. And I can make a different choice next time where I can do something to shape my practice because of this choice. I feel like that's incredibly spacious. And that's also, you know, Deborah and I have talked a lot about this, but perhaps just an opportunity to also extend through practice kindness to myself, you know, in, in that exploration of like, Oh, this is the choice I'm making for these reasons because of who I am now or how I want to be identified or how I identify with myself or my, my body, my emotions. I've just, I just think that's so fascinating, that idea of, of choice and that it's not, it doesn't have to be right or wrong. I don't know if that's interesting to you all, but I was just struck by that. I totally agree. I totally agree because I, I many times make choices around, for instance, you know, having, having sugar or something like that, that, um, I know really doesn't, my body doesn't really like refined sugar uh and it, it's becoming it's more and more sensitive as i get older you know like i may have cramps in the middle of the night while i'm sleeping and all that but sometimes i'll choose to do it because mm-hmm. it's just something that what we're what i'm the the, the 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 discerning thing that i'm making right there that we're, we're not used to what shining a light on is i had a cold i wasn't feeling well last week it would not serve me to run out and have sugar mm. I know I'm not going to feel better. I could actually feel a lot worse and not be ready to go and teach last weekend. So that's my purpose, mm-hmm. my, my, my point. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really that how does practice, how do we have a practice that actually gives us loads of room to play? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. James, what's going on for you in all of this? I'm sitting over here. Uh, I don't get Twitter-pated too frequently. And... <laughs> Wendy LeBlanc Arbuckle Twitter hates me. Mm-hmm. So I'm sitting over here. <laughs> like, the whole time I'm like, God, there's just so m- I feel like I need to take you to dinner, Wendy, because there's just so many questions that don't have a place in this conversation. I'm like, oh, God, I just want to know this. I just want to know this. I just want to know this. So I know. I'm no, just enjoying- we're, we're inquiring people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Man. And I feel like... Um, Every time I get interested in something, it's like uh, your footprint is already there. It's like, oh, when I find something (laughs) new, it's like, oh, Wendy's already been here. So I feel like... (laughs) like Are you saying I'm like Bigfoot? What's that? I said, are you saying I'm like Bigfoot? (laughs) (laughs) Well, in the magical aspect of Bigfoot, maybe. No, I'm just saying, like, everything... Like, everything I find interesting, it's like it's influenced, it has also influenced your work. So I find you and your work very, very interesting. And the stories that you shared, a little note that I wrote is, um, you know, uh, all all of those stories, uh, the absence of awareness and the lack of nourishment for the body was what really kind of struck me because there's nothing wrong with you know, stomach series. There's nothing wrong with, you know, the choice of putting on clogs. There's nothing wrong with, exactly. um, you know, being exacting with movement versus not being exacting with movement. But it just, it, it the, the, the absence of awareness within the moment of going like, is this the best choice I can make? And then going, how is that? You know, it's like, like you said, with the sugar story, it's like, that's not going to nourish me at this moment. And 
And uh, I just find that so, so, so interesting, um, especially coming from amazing instructors, amazing, um, not even instructors, just educators like uh, Romana and Eve, the fact that even, even they had, um, you know, uh, blind spots and not just blind spots, but like huge absences within that. And so it leads me to begin to question like, well, man, none of us are above that. Mm-hmm. So even as we're having this amazing conversation about um, practice and nourishment and awareness and blah, 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 like, man, I wonder what huge blind spots are within mm-hmm. my life or within my practice or, you know, like even, even as a question asker, like, what am I not asking? Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. I, I want to I want to mention something for a second because it's really excellent what you're saying, and I want to acknowledge Deborah for a second because, you know, one of the things that as I've known Deborah, as I've known you over the years, Deborah, one of the things that's always touched me so deeply is your willingness to be vulnerable. You know, and I think it's it's really, um, you know, you've inspired me, and um, and uh, and I think that's something that we've We've always we've always been very honest with one another, you know, um, being willing to be honest. And 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 you see me, you know. I mean, we we've allowed one another to be deeply human. And I and I think that's the that's what we're really speaking about, because I think it's uh, often in practice uh, what we consider practice, or I think what most. Uh, practitioners think of as practice is being perfect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and there's some kind of just mythology out there, and I think that's really what I'm I'm interested in shining a light on is the mythology, so that you know people know I'm not saying anything against anyone. It's and that's where we usually take it. You know, yeah. like you can't question yeah. anything about the Pilates without anybody saying, oh well, you know, I mean, oh my gosh, you no, know, you're in you're in the Bible here, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And well, why not? Why can't we say, why can't we build on the shoulders? Why can't we say that, you know, he, he knew a lot and he was a genius and yet there were things missing right. that we're going to build on and still have it be the work. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a whole, that's a whole huge conversation, you know, of what are we practicing? Yeah. And it's interesting to me because it just seems like this it is a perpetuated myth, right? That when we judge others for questioning or we judge others for not having the same ideas as us. And I think that happens in, you know, really kind of, um, very subtle, very subtle ways. Um, it just perpetuates this rigidity around, well, practice has to look like a certain thing. It has to happen every day or it has to happen for X amount of minutes or it has to include these things to be right. But, but as we judge others, we're judging ourselves. You write, it's just this. And so people don't practice. People don't, I really feel like with the work that I do with teachers from all over the place, I mean, and all of you, it, this, this like, um, deep, uh, self deprecating, story that most of them have teachers in particular about, well, I struggle with practice because I don't have 30 minutes to spend on the reformer or I don't, it's because it can't look like this. And I, you know, they have this story 
or this belief that it has to look a certain way to be valuable. And then as soon as we, I think we forget that what we believe about ourselves is also a reflection of what we believe about other people and vice versa. So then we show up as teachers and we may not say it, but I think in some way where we end up holding this idea and, you know, this is the, this is the thread we've been holding in our conversations, um, from before is that we're, we're out to get them to a certain place, right? A predetermined place, a fixed place. We're fixing, correcting, you know, guiding, instructing from, as you said, Wendy earlier, the biomechanical point of view of right and wrong. We don't, I think we just, we're not really always aware that that, that point of view is being perpetuated, you know, in ourselves, by ourselves, and then back to our students and then to our peers. It's just this, you know, just holding space for, for it to look like that, to, to be, um, Deborah, how did you put it in that, in the podcast previously, like the, the, um, comparing mind, right? The, the mindset that pitfalls comparing. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we were talking about comparison as kind of like a pitfall. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I don't remember exactly what I said, but, um, yeah, maybe you should just keep talking. <laughs> no, that's it. I mean, really, that's yeah, well, really, I think, that's it. I think it's, I think it's really true what what y'all are saying. The um, comparison, because I used to compare. Not that I don't. Not that I completely stopped, but I'm not totally. Um, you know, I, I it, it doesn't drive me anymore. That's the distinction. It doesn't drive me, but comparing myself to everyone else and just knowing that I'm not enough and that there, I need more knowledge, I need more. And, you know, that's, James, it's great what you're saying because, you know, I'm very clear that the, the, uh, my quest for knowledge in the early years was really hunger, but it was also a, uh, a kind of a, a, I had to know it. I just had to know it because I was lacking, you know, I was lacking and I had to know it and where that's come to now because of what I'm studying. That's the thing. What am I studying? That's actually giving me more of a sense of myself as a human being, my self-worth, my, um, my love of, uh, of just being alive and gratitude for being alive and knowing that who I am is someone who is here to contribute to my own life and the lives of others mm. rather than I'm here to get mine. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and it's, do you know what I'm saying? Oh, what yeah, totally. am I practicing? What am I practicing that's actually putting me more in touch with that ripple effect? It's like getting up every day, and I mean, this is not about the, the comparing thing. I do remember what I said. I don't know if I need to bring it up again, but like, it's—I don't know if it's simply a question of reaching a certain age. Wendy and you know Chantel and James are certainly younger than we, um, but there is something about a shift that occurs with regard to knowing oneself a whole lot better. Having lived with the, I mean, practice as practice is the portal, as you say, it's the way that you, we 
we get to know ourselves on every level. And so then there becomes this deepening awareness of our habitual patterns. And then the moments of choice, do you go down that road or not? And I think that what at this point, uh, waking up every day, whether it's um, concretely having a gratitude practice about being alive or just literally saying, okay, I woke up this morning. How do I want this day to go? Who, who, who's showing up today? Who, what do I want to cultivate on every mm-hmm. level? Mm-hmm. Um, and the, the thing about comparing, the only thing I'll say about that now from before was that I had this kind of moment when I thought it's crazy to compare, for example, Pilates to yoga. Because it's like, it's like, you know, comparing different food groups. If we're talking about nourishment or something like that, it's like you can't, we need many things, you know, and we don't, we don't do as well on a diet of just one thing. And so as, as humans, we, we do hunger for different experiences. We hunger for different things from different environments, from different sources, from different life experiences. And and that's the fluidity that I think the that Chantel is expressing. Um yeah, I mean there is this tussle in our in our brains around right, wrong and rigid fluid. You know, it's like as you you don't want to be you don't want to be wimpy, you don't want to be um, lacking direction, you don't want to be not decisive, you know, all the things, all the words that we have in our culture to describe ourselves. Um, it's uh, very, very interesting. But uh, that was uh, what I was talking about with regard to comparing Chantel. Mm-hmm, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's, it's, yeah. it's silly yeah. in a way at a point because we actually don't need the same thing every day and we certainly don't need the same thing at different points in our lives Mm -hmm. it's true it's true but there's something that i see kind of inside of that and that is that i think that there's a um a kind of mythology once again that we tend to fall into when we think of pilates and yoga let's just take those two okay because there's, you know, if you have people do definitions of what Pilates is, uh, quite often there's no relationship to yoga. Like, how did Joseph Pilates create this system? He didn't, he wasn't born in the womb doing Pilates. You know, it, it, it wasn't birthed with him. He created it out of his experience. And it's that experience that created this body of work into what he called contrology and what we now call Pilates. The thing that's interesting that, at least from my experience, as I've studied a lot of different disciplines, is to begin to really ask my body, what am I doing now? What am I doing now? What am I doing now? And what I began to realize over time is that naming things is just something we do as human beings. 
But then our bodies, my body, my body doesn't care what I call what I do. It doesn't care Pilates. It doesn't care rectus abdominis. It doesn't care psoas. It doesn't care yoga. It doesn't care the name of things. What it cares about is movement with awareness. And, and that it, it's what's interesting, as you're saying, Deborah, is that, yes, there's a distinction between Pilates and yoga, but most people never get inside the similarities. What's going on with breath? What's going on with gravity? What's going on with weight shift? It's all happening in both, mm-hmm. but often it's not really studied very much. We study the form, and then we talk about how they're different, but we often don't get inside to really look at the underlying practice and see like what's there, what what how what moves from one system to another. Like one time I was teaching a workshop and, and we, I was uh, doing a spiral and in one direction. Suddenly I turned my head in the other in the other direction. This young girl said, "Oh, you're doing Feldenkrais," <laughs> and I said, "No, I'm turning my head." <laughs> We had this whole incredible discussion around this. I said, you know, this is, this is so funny because, yeah, it's this is this is a place we tend to see. What I'm saying, it's, it's, it's mm. fascinating. Well, and we're also like, I just I want to. I've been uh, here with my my sisters here with me at the Cape. We're getting our family home ready to rent, and it's as you can imagine, quite a process going through forty uh-huh. years of yeah. things. Um, and I just, I flashed, uh, I flashed on when I was young, when I was still living at home, we were, ball, we were still all, you know, growing up kids at home. And I was in my most kind of uh, early obsessed with becoming a dancer. And as, as some of you know, like, I didn't start really, you know, early enough. And so I was always playing catch up. And I remember being at the dinner table one day and my sister looked at me and she said, you know, you don't learn to talk about something else. I'm not going to talk to you anymore. <laughs> and it was just like, it was just this, you know, when it's your sibling, they have a way of just kind of sticking it to you. And yes. she, it was just like, she's like, you know, Deborah, not everyone, like dance is great. Yay you. But not everyone wants to just spend the, their entire day talking about it. And so I'm just laughing a little inside too, because of how we all are. <laughs> Uh, in terms of you know our complete fascination with movement body yeah well there was that sweet moment where wendy was talking and deborah you and james and i all went "Uh uh-huh with this like little (laughs) little collective uh, sighing agreement which was pretty perfect um yeah I want to just pose a question, and I think um, maybe to frame the the idea of practice and um, what what I said at the beginning. And I think this this these words in part are Wendy's about how our own personal practice feeds and informs our choices in life and our perceptions. And you know, uh, the three of us, Deborah and James, and I have been in conversation recently around. Um, what it might be like to shift more, um, 
outwardly or consciously maybe, you know, to the community or, or whatever that looks like this idea of moving from, you know, kind of a fix fixing mindset to, uh, facilitating and what you were talking about earlier, Wendy, so beautifully, um, you know, of, of allowing, you know, and permitting or, or, you know, exploring the biointelligence of what, what the body needs rather than us telling somebody else what their body needs. And what I'm curious about, and I wonder if Wendy, Wendy might answer first, and then I'm curious to know Deborah and James, your answer. But if you think about like what, what you really want for, for your students, for the people in front of you, you know, the people that come to you for knowledge, for help, what, what you want to give them, what you are really deeply desirous of whatever that thing is, how does that inform how you go about your practice and vice versa? Like what's the linking up for you in this moment between what you're trying to give others and, and what does that mean for what you need to give to yourself? And of course, you know, we're talking about practice, but practice looks like all kinds of things as we, we've been discussing. Yes. Yes. Well, that's easy. Um, you know, for me, I think life is a privilege and, uh, an honor. And I'm really interested in everyone that I meet and work with to feel loved and honored and mm -hmm. to feel beautiful to feel that they matter, to feel their life has meaning and purpose. Mm. And so that informs how I am with myself and the space that I want to hold for myself so I can be that space for someone else who may be having trauma or pain or um, just something that they, they don't even know that they have. It's embedded, you mm. know, that, that just suddenly just people, people just have amazing experiences. Um, just in being in a place of safety and support. Mm. And um, that's, that's what moves me because I feel that if we can create that as practitioners, if we can create that for ourselves and we can create that for our clients, that is really what Joseph Pilates is talking about. What he wanted to speak about is what do we mean is by world peace? What do we mean by return to life? I think that in so many ways he meant it so much more than a workout. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. You know, and he, he started there because like Mary Bowen said, he was sensate. He was a body man mm -hmm. and he was a muscle man. And so that's his approach. It had a lot of value. And now how do we keep deepening it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Deborah, what about you? I just was looking back at some notes. Um, I was trying to find something that you said, Chantil, when I was listening to you and James in the bus the other day, but I think it's in a different journal. <laughs> I'm going to say this, and then I'll answer your question. I found this quote that I wrote. I didn't say it. Uh, a Tibetan master, Tukul Ujin. Uh, it says, being aggressive but by being gentle, you can accomplish all things. And I, um, I 
what I want for people um, is peace, for God's sake. <laughs> um, <laughs> if only for maybe a few minutes a day, a moment, a flash, a flash of what? A flash of wholeness, a flash of rightness, a flash of sense of belonging, of being at home in oneself. And I don't think you could call me a muscle guy, <laughs> but I'm definitely <laughs> sensate and a body person. And I, and I, and I don't know why, because I haven't explored this too much psychologically, but I don't know why I came out the way I came out. I was premature. Um, so that's, you know, interesting. Um, but I, I, I've just had to be a mover my whole life to know uh, uh, my place in all of this. And, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't have any formal movement training or anything. I, I just walked. Like, I was the one that walked to school when everyone else got a ride. I don't know. I just knew I needed to do that. Um, I so want for the people that come to me to, to, to feel their worthiness, to, to trust themselves. And I think... For a really, really long time now, what has been driving me is the is the pain that I feel in in how, as a culture of humans, we do not trust our innate intelligence, wisdom, uh, etc., cetera, etc., cetera. and we've created society where we look to other to tell us how it is and who to be and how to do it and what's right and can you wear white after Labor Day or not, you know? <laughs> and so um, it's like that, that's my quest, you know, that's why I practice. It's to find those places of peace within myself so that I'm cultivating that so that it shifts my cellular structure so that the words that come out of my mouth to others are more coming from that place and less perpetuating this other thing. Hmm. Beautiful. And I'm, I just have to keep trying. Yeah. James, what about you? Oh, uh, there's so many different ways to answer this. <laughs> um, <laughs> So, uh, yes to everything Wendy said. Yes to everything Deborah said, including the white after Labor Day thing. <laughs> that was so, um, I, I think, uh, for me, it's, um, like, I'm the guy, and I've said this in numerous podcasts and everything, it's like, how did I end up being, like, the movement guy? Because I was not a dancer, I was not an athlete, I was not in any of that, but... And so for a long time, I'm like, how, how did I end up here? Like, how, how is this the profession? And then when you, you kind of dig inside or I've dug inside, you know, it's like, well, I've always been an explorer. 
and I've always been a movement. So I was that weird kid that would like roll on the ground and be like, could I put my feet here? How about if I do this? What does it feel like if I roll over here? And just, I would just do it to do it. And I think as I progressed within my movement teaching, that it's sort of like that, those are my deepest roots, is what does it feel like? How can I explore here? Where is this going to lead me? And what can I discover here? And it's just sort of like, movement is the is the vessel by which i deliver that you know that that education or that facilitate that awareness and for my own so so that that kind of guides my practice of um i I try to listen and pay attention to what i to what i need physically and i'm learning to do it better with what i need emotionally and I wrote an Instagram about it, and Chantel and I have talked about it. You know, it's uh, it's bigger than what you need physically. I, like, I take pretty good care of myself physically. Like, I'm pretty good with what I eat. I'm pretty good with what I move, and I'm pretty good with my sleep. But what I hadn't been doing was giving myself open spaces. And not, not outdoors. I'm outdoors a lot. Just open space to be. I, I wasn't taking enough time off. I wasn't... Um, nourishing that uh that grander sleep cycle that still space and Mm. so for me that was that was a blind spot i was not even aware that i was aware that i wasn't doing it but it had not become important for me until just recently so i think for my my personal practice is learning to be more well-rounded and really um harnessing that like true giving myself, awarding myself that true still space and helping my clients to sort of figure out what they need to award themselves more of in their life. Sort of right now, kind of how my practice is influencing what I'm bringing to my teaching, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Chantel, are you going to tell us you before we have to go? Uh, I can, I can. Uh, I mean, I'm kind of of the mind that this is not surprising uh, of James, you know, it's like, there are so many things. Um, but I think that, I think that right now the, the words that are kind of at the top would be, um, kindness, openness, willingness. I mean, I think what, you know, just where, where I am in my own exploration and I feel like I've been in this shift for the last several years, but just really being kind to myself and, and I permitting, you know, giving myself space to explore and to not need to be right or wrong or always do it well. And, you know, when I first started really teaching, um, when I was young, I, I think I had some sense kind of Deborah, what you were saying, like that physically, I always felt like movement was the way I could know myself. It was the way that I felt like I could fully express who I was, even, even when I didn't know intellectually or even emotionally, but movement, you know, there's just always been such a joy for me in being, embodied. And I think right now I'm just showing up in my teaching 
with the intention of holding space for people to be willing, you know, and to be curious and to be kind to themselves. And I just never know where that's going to lead people. I mean, I think sometimes it leads them to, um, pain, you know, identifying pain, you know, getting comfortable with pain, or sometimes it leads to, uh, just a sense of peace in the moment. Sometimes it leads to understanding a story. I mean, it just, you know, it's just, I don't know. I don't, I don't have any, I don't have any, um, attachment, I think to where it leads us, but I think I do have a sense of when it's open enough to lead somewhere meaningful. And I think that's kind of what's at the heart of my own exploration for myself, you know, showing up. I mean, I have two small kids, you know, life is really crazy. Life is really intense and crazy. I mean, I think for all of us, but I just didn't recognizing that, like, you know, I'm up early every morning because I know that's the only way I can, I can get my work done, but also lay down on the floor. I mean, I drink my coffee, I roll out my feet and I lay down on the floor and then I just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, I roll up, I roll down, I move side to side. Sometimes I do, you know, yoga. Sometimes I, uh, you know, I mean, just, I don't know, but, but I'm really willing to just show up and love myself for just getting on the floor. And I don't want, I don't need to ask anything else in the moment of myself. And I think that's what I'm, I think that's really what I'm trying to hold yeah. space for, for my students. Yeah. If that makes any sense. Is there a moment for me just to add one little thing? Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, of course. Because okay. I feel it's just so relevant to, you know, what we've all been speaking about and just um, and the profundity of what's inside of what we're talking about, which is what's the possibility of unraveling history? Uh-huh. <laughs> rather, than, rather than being dictated uh-huh. by yeah. yeah. Because what we know at this point, what we know at this point is that genes, we used to think the genes determined everything. There's my parents are that way, so I'm that way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But now we know the genes determine our height, our blood type, our handedness, left or right, the color of our eyes, hair, skin, but they don't determine our biology. So what's the possibility of practice? Mm. We are deeply rooted in and deeply affected by our environment, and that includes includes one another. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, wow. Wow. Yeah. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Oh man! I just want to thank y'all. Thank y'all so much for this incredible conversation. Just yeah. beautiful. I love you all. Oh, thank you, I love Wendy. you all too. Thank Wendy, you, tomorrow, you. right? Listen to the voicemail. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay, alrighty. We're Wendy? closing. Uh, Wendy, can I ask you a question yes. before uh, before before we all sign off? We're trying to sure. do this thing where where we end with with one last question, right. and okay, I'm right. curious. I'm curious for you, Wendy, um, what do you see 
as the future of Pilates, or maybe even a more interesting question for you is what do you see the potential for the future of Pilates to be? Well, considering the brilliance of the people who are within the, this, this incredible body of work, I think it's just, it's just, it's, it's really, you know, I'm, I'm very excited. And, and, and that's why I feel it's so important to be going into the mythology and actually beginning to unravel some of the mythology so that we get out from underneath the rock that can kind of keep us stuck. And we can let, instead, let the, 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 the spirit of the people that we stand on the shoulders of really shine. And, uh, and to be, be able to bring in updated information and awareness that has Pilates be able to shine like yoga is shining. You know, yoga is just thought of as this, you know, transformational body of work. And so in many, many circles, Pilates is still thought of as a workout. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I see it as that's why I'm a yoga teacher in the Pilates community. And I'm really interested in seeing that we keep mining what is biointelligence? What is it? What is it? What are these deeper questions that we're talking about? And, and how do we, what is perception? How does that shape us? These are all fascinating questions, and they're very relevant to Pilates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I can't remember right now, and I can't be on the phone and look on my phone <laughs> at the same time. But the the summer conference at the Pilates Center this year, I came up with the title something like "Open Your Mind." open your body or something like that. And it's very focused. Kaylee wrote a beautiful, I'm sure she didn't write it all on her own, but a beautiful intro to the conference. And um, if you're interested, because just to look at that, because there's, it's just a ripple, you know, it's happening. Anyone who's thinking has to, has to start to open up. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, and I really, I really invite people to uh, who would love to come and explore more embodied movement with me. I'll be teaching at Yuki Yoshi in um, in uh, Walnut Creek, California, in July, and then I'll be in Europe um, with Eva um, Mussolini and with Katia Hamush, um, and uh, so I just would love to hear from people too yeah so, absolutely wonderful and we're gonna we're gonna put all of your contact info and everything Wendy in the show notes so people can get in touch with you and see what you're up to and um beautiful. when the Thank podcast you. gets posted um it's on iTunes but it's also hosted on my website skillfulteaching.com and that information is always handy the comment section I really want to just invite people who are listening, one, to share this conversation because I do think it's so powerful and so rich and it's been so sweet. But I'm so deeply curious to hear what everybody thinks. I was like, what's, you know, what, what, what are you being tugged by? Like, what's tugging on you? What's interesting? What are you challenged by? What are you struggling with? What are you finding delight in around this conversation? Um, because it really is the conversation and the dialogue 
between us that helps us bring it to light and make it a real thing that we should be paying attention to in a larger scale, not just in private conversations. So that's right. That's why I invite, I really hope people respond as well, because it is the, you know, we're talking about this idea of not being so directive and more facilitating and what we're facilitating is the wisdom of, of the group of the community of all the people. And so if we don't, if we don't have that opportunity to hear from each other, then it, again, we're, we're just perpetuating this kind of, uh, good old boy kind of situation. So thank you, Wendy. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you, Wendy, Deborah and James. Love you guys. Before we go, we wanted to make sure that we shared Wendy's hero and pro tip with you. So Wendy is uh, recommending Dr. Jean-Claude Goumberto's book, Architecture of Human Living Fascia and his DVD, and um, online videos. And we've provided a link uh, to uh, a YouTube video of his in the show notes. So check that out. As for the pro tip, here's what Wendy has to offer. Either lying down on a mat or sitting up, sense where you can feel the weight of your body resting down through your sitting bones or throughout your spine, back, head, and feet if you're lying down. Rather than, quote, controlling your body's breath, practice being in touch with your fascial elastic recoil breath, the natural cascading massage of your bones, muscles, internal organs, and the rhythmic orchestration of your body's fluid movement. Allow your breathing body to guide you by placing one hand on your low belly and the other hand on your low ribs. Notice that you can allow the relaxation towards center, a natural squeeze of your ribs, as though they have weight. As you exhale, then just allow your natural expansive inhale through your nose without making it happen, which opens your throat and back to breath. Can you sense your natural exhale, which is a fascial release deep within your body that can open your hips and soften and widen your chest, neck, jaw, and eyes? from your pelvic floor to your palate. If you have a challenge sensing this, don't make yourself wrong. It's just what's missing that you can discover and explore how to access. So that's also in the show notes, and you can read the pro tip over and over again and take yourself through this really lovely felt sense experience that Wendy's recommending. And otherwise... That's it for us. You can reach us at thinkingpilatespodcast at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast and look forward to the next time. Until then, breathe deep and teach well. All the things that make you sing and tap your little toes.